This week, Gary uncovers Bill Lee's appointment of Tennessee's new Commissioner of Health, a very surprising choice indeed. We return to a very full China cabinet to learn about the connection between a lithium mine in Nevada, its connections to the Chinese Communist Party, and its nefarious activities right here under your nose in the state of Tennessee. And Anthony Fauci makes a cameo, sort of, as we discuss his recent seven-hour deposition. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and with my good friend Gary Humble, this is the Freedom Matters Podcast. I could hardly wait to get back in here to hear about your uh, New Orleans, or your Louisiana Thanksgiving. I wanted to hear about all the food. So, definitely the fried turkey, you know, three fried turkeys. And we don't just do the cornbread stuffing or dressing. We had a crawfish cornbread mm. stuffing. Wait, and you said cornbread. Corn. <laughs> like C-A-R-N. Yeah, cornbread. <laughs> what do you say, corn? Corn. Yeah, yeah from no. the north, corn. So it was good. Good time with family, lots of food. And uh, it was a nine and a half hour drive. Yesterday on the way back, it was 12 hours in the truck Ugh. with three little ones. That was fun. Traffic. Stuck behind three wrecks. Oh. So, praise the Lord. Oh, That's man. Done. So, did you start that drive early and mm-hmm. get home really late? Or- yeah, we got we left at 7 a.m. thinking, man, yes, we're going <laughs> to get home in daylight. <laughs> That's but- right. Nope. Nope. Got home at 7 p.m. Oh, my goodness. That's why um, my son-in-law, daughter, and my granddaughter left this morning at about 4.30 to head back to Michigan because they knew yesterday was going to be futile driving with traffic. So they yeah. said, oh, stay an extra day. It was good for Pops here to get to spend an extra day with his granddaughter. That's awesome. That's um, awesome. And, and one other question about that, by the way. Anything unexpected or surprising happened this weekend, or was it all according to plan? Uh, no. Nothing, nothing eventful, which I was thankful for. Personally. Yeah. In a good way. In right? a good way, right. Yeah. I'm trying to think if anything unexpected happened in our home. 19 on Friday. We had 16 on Thursday. And we had <laughs> very little leftovers. We even did two turkeys, made a 14-pounder on Tuesday because we knew we were going to do a 23-pounder on Thursday. And still, the the leftovers were so minimal that we had to buy other food, which was a disappointment. Very minimal uh, some will be shocked to know that very, very minimal political conversation <laughs> around the table uh, for Thanksgiving uh, around uh, my family's home. Uh, last last time that did not go so well. So, um, yeah, I, there's um, that. In our family, everybody's pretty much on the same page. So although we did not have any political conversations of depth, if we had them, it would be all from the same team. It'd be like a locker room conversation. Yeah, not than. not mine, unfortunately. So uh, anyway, we we avoided that. Yeah, I always laugh. I see all the memes and stuff as people are getting ready for the holidays. You know, mm-hmm. who's ready to talk politics? I'm like, <laughs> man, whoo! Not going to step into. Not going to wade into those waters this time around. So, what did you come back with? Any? I, I've got so many things to go through that we would never get through them in one podcast. But wanted to know if you had something you wanted to start with today. Well. I'm going to do some more digging on this, but I do have a little bit of information. I don't know if many Tennesseans know that while we were quietly, while we were out last week getting ready for our turkeys, 
on the 22nd, I believe, so early on in the week, uh, Governor Bill Lee appointed our new commissioner of health uh, here in Tennessee. So I don't know if, if we remember, you know, I think it was last year or earlier this year, um, I think it was earlier this year, uh, Lisa Piercy, commissioner mm-hmm. of health. Well, they say stepped down. I do believe she was fired mm-hmm. um, is, is the undercurrent there. But because the government operations committee here in Tennessee had discovered that, of course, with this plentiful Department of Health budget we have here in Tennessee was using their advertising dollars to advertise the jab and make it fun and inviting for five to twelve year olds, and we were actually spending money, um, and it was all of these you know cute little advertisements with you know a little boy and a big smile on his face and a band aid yes, on his arm, you know, those. and all those things, and so mm. that. The uh, thankfully, our government operations committee didn't take too kindly, and shortly thereafter, um, Lisa Piercy with our Department of Health was gone, and so we've had an interim. I think her name was uh, Miss McDonald for a bit, but they they just appointed a permanent replacement. And I've, I got to tell you, one of our followers sent us some information. I began digging on it, concerning. So he he is a doctor. He's got practices and all those sorts of things. But I find it incredibly interesting that our governor appoints a new commissioner of health who is a sitting Kentucky state senator. What? Yes. His name is Ralph Alvarado. It's legal? There's no conflict of interest? So to be quite honest, I, I don't. I don't know what all the details are. He takes office in January. I'm assuming he's going to resign his post. Okay, well, that would be a little bit different. I thought you meant simultaneously holding both positions. Oh no, that that I'm I'm, uns- okay. I'm, I'm un- so I'm I'm just digging into this. I'm uncertain of that point. I would have to imagine that's a conflict. I don't think you can do that. <laughs> that, I, that, that I don't totally, think. <laughs> can you imagine? Talk about disregard for borders. Borders don't mean anything. He's a representative in Kentucky, and he's going to be the health commissioner in Tennessee. But but he does still actively own medical practices in Kentucky. Um, so he's been a sitting state senator in Kentucky, I believe, since 2015. He is currently mm. the chairman of the Senate Health Committee. In Kentucky. In Kentucky. And the concerns that we were sent by some of our followers— is that this guy has been a stopgap to a lot of medical freedom legislation uh. in their legislature. He's been opposed. He's in favor. He 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 tends to favor the government's ability to mandate, even though in some situations he, he says he supports exemptions. But um, I'm looking at his votes, and I'm, I pulled up some of his committee hearings, and he is one of those legislators that does believe that government does have a role in mandating a shot. So that's a really interesting, even if we know nothing else about him, Yeah. would you, in the position of the governor, ever start with a person like that? It seems to, to me he wouldn't even be on my list of top 100. Right. I'm going to say this... I'm going to be branded a racist, of course, uh, by, by saying this, but I'm, I'm going to venture out and say we don't have a lot of diversity in our leadership right now in Tennessee, and uh, Mr. Alvarado is Hispanic. 
And I I do believe that that most likely has something to do with in in fact and the reason that I say that is because that's sort of been one of his personal talking points and the Republican Party has used him in that way. So Mr. Alvarado spoke and this is online you can go see it. He gave a speech at the Republican National Convention in 2016. And I believe part of the reason the Republican Party had him on the platform, his whole spiel was about being the first Hispanic elected mm, to the Kentucky legislature. Okay. So I think I think that has part to do with Identity it. politics then. Yep. Not about ideas, but identity. That's right. But I just, overall, I'm not going to say too much more about it now. I've got, all I can say is I've got a great deal of concern about this guy and his his past in the legislature. He has, uh, again, opposed some freedom legislation to protect people's individual rights hmm. to make their own choices uh, in terms of healthcare decisions. And I just... I find it incredibly interesting that, you know, yes, he's a doctor. Yes, he owns practices. So, you know, that's le- that's legitimate. But I still find it interesting that the governor, the person he appoints to a position to lead health care in our state is a politician's politician. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's a sitting state senator. Um, he spoke at the Republican National Convention. He ran— as Bivens' running mate, he ran for lieutenant governor hmm. in the state of Kentucky. So this guy is a, a political operative. Mm-hmm. He's a politician. Yet he's holding a commissioner's appointment to right. run our Department of Health. I just personally, I have an issue. Is he being appointed this for this um, because he lost his seat, or did he win his seat and he's going to resign? No, he lost because uh, Bashir beat Bivens in the last gubernatorial election in Kentucky. So, I, I oh, think, wait, wait, wait. So he wasn't. So what's his current position? Well, he no, he's currently a state senator, but he he also ran for lieutenant right, governor. Right. But I mean, now did he lose his seat as a state senator in Kentucky, and therefore this is a new job for him, or was he just reelected? In November, but he's going to leave that seat. I'm not sure. All I know is that he he was he did run for re-election. I don't know if he was elected or not. He has been a state senator since 2015. He currently has a state senate website running for 2022. So I don't are, know. Are there state houses like ours every two years? Well, our house is every two years, and our senate is every four years. I don't know if their senate is every four years. If it's every six years, he would have been running this mm-hmm. year. Yes, I don't know if it's four or six in Kentucky. Hmm. All right. That'll be good to find out. Interesting. So just <laughs> something to pay attention to. When you first said that, though, Gary, I thought, wait, he's going to be serving as a state senator in Kentucky and on the Board one, of Health of Tennessee. One would think, Kevin, that that's not the case. But know. then again, wasn't there a an amendment passed that said that um, in Tennessee that pastors now can run <laughs> for office? Right. You can. You so can, all the strange things. Yeah. You can. You can worship God and run for office. No. Um, yeah. That's an amendment to our constitution. By the way, speaking of uh, worshiping God and running for office, I. I found this story. I received it from someone. Good friend sent it to me. You know Ben Cunningham? I do. So Ben sent me this from time to time. Good tea party stories. guy. Yep. Oh, yeah. He was he was one of the leading members of the Tea Party here in Tennessee that got a lot 
Remember back in the day, of course, it was 22 years ago, the car honking going around mm-hmm. the Capitol. Ben was so instrumental in uh, achieving the continuation of Tennessee not having a state sales tax, a, a state income tax. So Ben's a good friend, and from time to time he'll send me an article that he knows will catch my attention. So you were talking about the Bible, and I'll, I'll make this one brief, because mainly because we need to get back into the China closet today, and I've got a really important story to cover that will shock you and shock our audience. But before we do that, this comes out of the UK, and the story is by an author named Adam Kula, K-U-L-A, and it all comes down to, it's an issue of biblical free speech in the UK. So in the UK, there's a, da- a man by the name of David Smith, or Smythe, he spells it with a Y, and he was prosecuted for street preaching. And what he claims, all he said on the street is, quote, it says in the Bible that homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of God, end quote. And for that, the Crown Prosecution Service, called CPS, took the position before the court, this is what they say, (laughs) the main position that CPS took was, quote, whether a statement of Christian belief or not, the court is being asked to consider whether the language has the potential to cause harassment, alarm, or distress. And then they go on to say, There are references in the Bible which are simply no longer appropriate in modern society and which would be deemed offensive if stated in public. Whoa. So if you want to know what's coming, that's kind of the framework. But I want to point out something that was more more alarming, and this will—let me tie this into a quiz question. What does this remind you of, Gary, when I I tell you what these churches— said or didn't say in response to that, you tell me what this harkens in your mind. The writer of this article approached a number of official churches in Northern Ireland. I guess this mostly happened in Ireland. I said UK, generally speaking, right? But the event actually happened in Northern Ireland. These are the churches that they went to. The first place they went was to Oh, before the churches, they actually went to the PPS. Sorry, I'm not familiar with all these acronyms. Well, the PPS said, we're not, we're not in a position to provide comment because it's not a PPS case. So then the author shifted to, okay. Personal public service. There you go. So probably like a public defendant here in the States. So the newsletter then went to the following churches for comment. It's, well, it's their welfare. Oh, it is their welfare system? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. So the welfare system says we're not in a position to provide comment because it's not a welfare case, essentially. But listen to what the churches said. The Presbyterian Church in Ireland, no comment. The Church of Ireland said, as a matter of protocol, we would not generally comment on cases in jurisdictions covered by other churches. The Irish Catholic Church sent a response referring the newsletter to the Diocese of Down and Connor, which said it might respond at a later date. The English Catholic Church said, as this case didn't result in a conviction, there's nothing we can add at this point. And the Church of England said, I don't think we would have anyone who could comment on this from Church House, end quote. 
So we have the Presbyterian Church in Ireland, the Church of Ireland, the Irish Catholic Church, the English Catholic Church, and the Church of England, all basically saying, not our business, no comment. Gary, what historical event or time period does this remind you of? <laughs> I mean, immediately it reminds me of COVID. I mean, to be quite honest. Okay, that's I, that's actually— I, I mean— Okay, you, and what does COVID but, remind you of with regard to the church's absence of a response? I don't know, Kevin. You really put me on the Sorry, spot. Sorry, I, I did Gosh, put you on the spot. And maybe this it's my is hard. question. <laughs> How about 1939? Oh, in in terms of uh, responding to uh, the Holocaust? Yeah. In Germany? Yeah. Remember the churches. It was the churches who were silent. So this is kind of like a, a, bon, a Bonhoeffer reference. Yeah, sort they, of. yeah. They, they, the churches all took the position well, it's not our problem, mm-hmm. right? And, and every time that there was some offensive conduct by the Nazi party against the Jews, the Christians were like, well, we're not Jews. You know, and I feel like you can you can go back in history on several occasions and find where the church has just been silent, you know, on a variety of social issues. You can go back to COVID most recently. You can go back to, I mean, in some regards, 2015 and the Obergefell decision. And, you know, the church is silent on marriage now, you know, in some cases because, well, the Supreme Court has spoken. Yeah. Um, it's it's incredible to hear a church, especially in this situation where you're being denied the right to quote scripture in public because it's offensive and the church feels this is not their domain at which to speak out. And it's incredible. I know. We're not even talking about, not that any of this is justified, but we're not even talking about a situation where a church has been accused of firing someone because of homosexuality or not hiring a pastor because of his views on yeah, identity. Yeah, it's, it's not a right? public policy issue. All this is is a private citizen making a statement in public, which happens to be from the Bible. And again, I'll read you the quote. There are references in the Bible which are simply no longer appropriate in modern society and which would be deemed offensive if stated in public. Now, the prosecutor lost that case. The pastor didn't wasn't prevented from saying it, but the fact that that argument is being made and the church mm-hmm. took no position to defend that, I thought was alarming. It took the issue to work itself through the courts yes. with a silent church. <laughs> and so we're relying upon the courts to defend our liberties, certainly not the church in this sense. That's going to go bad. That is going to go bad. Oh my gosh. So that just came up because you made reference to being able to speak your mind. Freely. Um, Gary, before we go further, we owe it to our audience to return to the China Closet because I realized in listening to her last couple of episodes, we got so busy that we neglected it. And it's such a feature and there's something happening every day in the China Closet that I didn't want to go much longer because literally in the news every day there's another China issue. And I'm sitting here trying to find my lead page. Maybe you can fill in for a second while I try to dig for my I lost my lead well, page. I, well, I heard I heard something from I think it's in the bottom of your stack. I saw okay. I saw a oh. Fauci. <laughs> I'm assuming that's your lead. Because Fauci I, isn't my lead, but uh, it, it may be attached to that Fauci well, document. Because I I saw something that that happened over the the weekend. I guess Fauci was interviewed on uh, Meet the News or or what Meet yes, the Press. Let's, let's talk press. about that before we go to the China cabinet. That'll give me time to look. And it, I read about that. Yeah, and he uh, he he almost kind of gives China a pass. And um, blames Trump 
for China's silence or unwillingness to cooperate uh, on releasing information as to the origins of COVID. So per, per Fauci, it is President Trump and it is the United States' fault for being, how did he say, sort of aggressive towards China's uh, monetary policies and trade policies. And because Trump Trump's America first policies in terms of attacking China, giving us a bath, you know, giving us a whipping on trade mm-hmm. that, well, that was antagonistic and gave China sort of the, the moral right to not work with us or not be forthcoming mm. with the information around the China virus. I mean, literally defended China's secrecy around COVID. I thought that was China, in other words, China has a right to be secretive about its possible mission in bioterrorism because Trump was mean. The the lengths, <laughs> essentially, yeah, the lengths to which they will go, Fauci, the left, the the Biden administration, Obama at all, will go to blame. First of all, Trump is such an easy target, and they found success blaming everything on Trump. But logically, that is such a weak, a weak attempt at an argument. And yet I'm not surprised. This is the same Fauci, by the way, the point I was going to make. In that interview, he wouldn't discuss his deposition. You know that he was deposed last week. Right. Um, and in his deposition, there, there's two things I'll point out. First of all, he admitted he's being deposed by a number of lawyers. I, I forget who all the parties are, but the primary party is the former or soon-to-be former Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt, who just won a seat in the Missouri Senate. And they were questioning Fauci, which went on for seven hours, by the way, which I think is awesome. But the most important thing to draw from this was Fauci was asked, what studies or study changed his mind? Well, we got to go back and remember the beginning. Fauci, remember, before COVID became a thing in February of 2020, said, quote, the typical mask you buy in the drugstore is yeah. not really effective in keeping out virus, which is small enough to pass through the material. Actually, a true statement. Yeah, he also said that on March 3rd on 60 Minutes. So, March 3rd, 2020. 2020. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then, two months later, Fauci says, we've changed our mind because of the data. So, in this deposition, Fauci was asked what studies or study changed his mind, which is what he claimed. He could not produce any study. Moreover, Gary, Fauci was not wearing a mask in the deposition, but apparently the court reporter had the sniffles, and Fauci said it made him uncomfortable, so he made her wear a mask for the rest of the deposition. Seriously. You can't make this up. This is what a crazy, crazy world we live in. Wow. Yeah, so anyway, it's... We're past the midterms. It's Trump's fault. We're too mean. China should be able to keep secrets from the world in terms of the origins of COVID. Meanwhile, yeah, we dig into the China cabinet, but but regarding mask wearing, um, someone sent me a tweet. I can't remember where the school district is, but they're already referencing um, again. We're at this again. They're referencing the uptick in uh, RSV and flu symptoms now mm-hmm. and looking to close public schools. Not here in Tennessee, I don't believe. I don't can't remember where this is, but we're, this is not, you know, it's just ongoing. Masks, 
we, we don't go to school anymore. It's just craziness. <sighs> Can you imagine going back to that Fauci thing for a second? It, the left blames everything on Trump, right? And they will do it for so long as the media gives them the opportunity. Blame it on Trump? Of course. Trump's the, Trump's the reason. Can you imagine them before the Lord on the day of judgment saying, my sins were Trump's fault? Mm-hmm. Trump made me angry. Trump made me do it. Yeah. That's what it's, I mean, some people will give <laughs> <Yeah>. that excuse. <laughs> Not going to go well for them. All right. So, Gary, I want to read this article. And this is one that I actually want to read from start to finish because it will introduce a subject that we need to talk about and it will raise a lot of questions. But all of our listeners need to know this is going on. So this is this is a China cabinet article and it's it's an article that was written in the uh, Washington Free Beacon. The author's name is Colin Anderson and it was published first on November 26th. A Canadian company, there, there's so many bells and whistles that should go off as I read this, but a Canadian company hopes to use Biden administration loans to open the largest lithium mine in North America. But first, it must convince government officials and prospective partners that it has adequately decoupled from its top shareholder, a Chinese enterprise led by known Chinese Communist Party members. The name of the company is Lithium Americas. Nice chosen, you know, to try to be safe and look like it's for America. Whose largest shareholder is Chinese mineral giant Gonfeng Lithium. Earlier this month, Lithium Americas announced its intention to split the company into two separate entities, a move that comes as it attempts to work out a Biden administration loan to fund the majority to fund the majority of its lithium mining project in northern Nevada. The company told the Washington Free Beacon it expects the separation to ease geopolitical concerns from government officials and investors over its relationship with Beijing-tied Gonfeng, given that the split would decouple Lithium America's Nevada mine from its more controversial mining projects in South America, which Gonfeng holds direct ownership stakes. But leading China hawks in the Republican Party are not satisfied. Good. That dissatisfaction stems from the fact that under the proposed split, listen to this, shareholders will receive stakes in both Lithium America's North American and South American entities proportional to their current holdings. Because Gonfeng is the only entity that owns more than 10% of Lithium America's shares, it will remain the largest shareholder of both companies following the split. Essentially, wow. no change. As a result, Gonfang will still have a sizable financial interest in Lithium America's mine unless it decides first to divest. Uh, Mike Pompeo, former Secretary of State in the Trump administration, called the split a half measure that's nowhere near enough to guarantee that the Communist Party of China will not have direct control over a key source of America's lithium supply. Until we know that no CCP-controlled shareholder is involved in this project, the Treasury Department should not allow it to move forward, Pompeo told the Free Beacon. Representative Mike Waltz of Florida and Senator Tom Cotton also echoed Pompeo's sentiment. It's unclear at this point whether Lithium America's corporate split will convince the Biden administration, um, which did not, by the way, return a request for comment, to award the company a loan. A Lithium Americas official told the Free Beacon the company expects to receive a final decision on its loan application 
in the near future. So I've got so many questions about this. First of all, what is the premise that electric vehicle manufacturers operate under vis-a-vis traditional you know, gas-powered engines. Yeah, green green energy. Yeah, green energy is save good. The, save the environment. Save the environment, right? Mm-hmm. A few months ago, we pointed out a Heartland Institute story. We didn't quote from it, but pointed it out, and I'd, I'd recommend it highly. I don't have it at my fingertips. But the Heartland Institute did a study showing how much damage is caused to the environment to produce one lithium battery for a car. And it was something like 500,000 pounds of earth uh, uh, the last thing I heard, 100 tons. So, so what, that what's that? Right? So 100 tons. One ton is, is 2,000 pounds. So 200,000. Yeah, I heard 500,000, but heard, still, it's... Yeah, it's a, a ton of earth per battery is what I heard. Per battery. Mm-hmm. And this is supposed to be a environmentally sound... If they were if they were digging for coal, they'd shut it down. Mm-hmm. They'd move 200,000 to 500,000 pounds of earth. All right, so that's problem number one. Problem number two... Here we are in a state. It, it isn't clear from this article, by the way, whether this is federal lands in Nevada, because there is a lot of that, or whether it's state lands and whether the state can do something without the federal government's authority, as we discussed a few months ago on the Heritage Report about what states can do to stop CCP involvement. But the idea that we – Canada's suspicious anyway. We know the any, anyone who pays close attention or even – casual attention to international political affairs knows that Justin Trudeau is very much both directly and by spirit very much enamored with the Communist Party of China. That alone should cause concern. But then on top of that, just because a company is called Lithium Americas, we're not going to do deeper (laughs) investigation into who the real owners are? That's on purpose. And then the third thing I would state is... Hang on. Lithium Americas, which is a... a, a Canadian company, you said, Canadian-based company, yeah, who's funded largest, by the Chinese. Yeah, whose largest shareholder is the Chinese <laughs> Communist Party. It's incredible. But the other thing is, if electric vehicles and solar power and quote-unquote green energy is the wave of the future and is more profitable, why in the world do they need a loan, let alone a loan to fund the majority of the cost, Right. If this was already profitable and if people were able to buy electric cars and they were good, why wouldn't there be enough profit in the business alone to re- that they wouldn't be required, therefore, to go to the government for a loan? It's astounding to me that this would even get to this point. There's a part in our past, in recent years, and recent decades, where this would not even see the light of day, let alone advance to the point where they're actually asking the Biden administration for a loan, which is our taxpayer dollars. So a little Tennessee tie-in to what you're saying right now. I wrote a commentary on October 27th about trends that I was noticing on Tennessee's heavy investment into the electric car industry Mm -hmm. and pointing out all these different companies and things that were starting. Well, so you're saying that this company is looking for funding or whatever and permission from the Biden administration to, to mine lithium in Nevada. Mm-hmm. Well, we have here in Tennessee, and again, as I pointed out in this commentary, the U.S. Department of Energy, so again, this all goes back to the Biden administration, yep. put together a $2.8 billion package for U.S. lithium battery manufacturing. And 
So what, roughly, what, what, what's that, a, a fifth or whatever? Uh, $500 million, a half a billion of those grants came to three projects in Tennessee. One is a graphite plant in Chattanooga, which is producing graphite parts for the batteries. Another part that creates separators for the electrodes for the batteries in Clarksville. And then a lithium plant in Etowah, which is just north of Chattanooga. That lithium refinery in just north of Chattanooga is going to be the largest lithium refinery in the country right here in Tennessee. So the sequence would be pull the lithium from the state of Nevada, Mm -hmm. right? Send it to Tennessee to mm-hmm. be refined. What were the other two? So we're, to, to be refined. And then we have other companies that are manufacturing the parts to make up the rest of the battery. So there's a direct... We're, we're making the, uh, the separators for the electrodes. We're making the graphite. We're refining the lithium. All here in Tennessee. And the lithium refinery is going to be the nation's largest lithium refinery but right Ga- here but in Gary Tennessee. it's just business <laughs> it's right. just business it's good for the businessmen and, and the, the funny Chinese thing, businessmen that's right and they and they also tout this as business and free market but the fact is it's being backed by grants from the US Department of Energy this goes back to what mm. I've been talking about extensively especially when I when I ran I ran for state Senate and I talked about the federal money coming in that subsidizes all of these corporations. That's not free market. When you take federal money and you take tax dollars and you, you don't just, you don't, it's not a tax abatement. It's not a tax cut. You're literally taking tax money and cutting Mm -hmm. checks to these private corporations. That's not free market. That's government backed, government propped industry. And, and on top of that, it's China. Yeah. And on top of that, it is a, in order to establish complete market dominance by those large corporations who've taken yes. that money. So there's no way on the taxpayers for back. small business to That's ever right. compete against that. That's right, 100%. And meanwhile, folks like the Chamber of Commerce always run commercials and ads about small business. But this is these things are yeah, never, never about, small, about business. small business. This is always about large corporate and, as you're pointing out here, global interests. These these are all global interests. And interesting, you mentioned Canada. I'm I'm just I'm seeing some connections here. This company that is putting in this lithium refinery in Etowah, which is just north of Chattanooga, mm-hmm. Piedmont Lithium. It is a North Carolina-based company, but which is looking to expand into in a project into Quebec. So, see, it's probably mm-hmm. it's it's all tied I'm to the sure. same stuff. So, I know we've said it, but it's worth repeating. Let's connect the dots here. So, we have the Chinese Communist Party investing in lithium-ion batteries, right? Lithium batteries for cars, and they're doing it through a Canadian company which has operations in North Carolina dealing with batteries, that has operations looking to get into actual mining in Nevada in order to <laughs> make these batteries and refine them in the state of Tennessee for, mm-hmm. for business, of course. And all of it is a national security threat because at what point do we, we become dependent upon it and the Chinese either say, A, well, we're not going to allow you to either use your own batteries. We're not going to. We're not going to allow you to have sufficient batteries to run your cars. 
Second of all, I think there's there's an element of them laughing because while they're using <laughs> normal jet fuel and they're using normal you know, nuclear power and other things that actually move big vehicles and war machines, we've completely made ourselves dependent upon little electric cars that yeah. cuts out. And, and dependent upon global supply global, chains, global supply chains, global markets, and and foreign governments. I mean, I want to. I really hope that people are understanding the gravity of what's being said here. You've got corporations and projects being funded by China, backed by the Biden's U.S. Department of Energy. Mm-hmm. And it's all coming together, coming to a head right here in Tennessee. Tennessee. And being offered as if it's just it's a just good jobs. place for business and it's jobs. jobs yeah. Kevin. It's just jobs. I was going to ask you, Gary, if there was any connection to the Ford plant. Oh, well, sure. Or directly anyway. Oh, well, sure, because that Ford plant. In Memphis. That Ford plant is going to be their hub for the new electric F-150. No, this is all EV-based. Which, by the way, I've got to say as a comment, I've driven and owned four F-150s. I would never own an electric F-1. Have you seen those? They're like sissified trucks. Yeah. And they've yeah. got a big open emp- they they advertise all the storage space in the front where the engine block would be. Yeah, please. It looks it's not where so I'll put bad. my stuff in a truck, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've seen I mean, I guess something similar. I don't know if you've seen them. They're called Rivian. Have you seen those Rivian trucks yes. on the road? Yeah, same. It's the, the electric truck. It, it looks it's exactly sissified. It's not it's why you buy a the truck. Best yeah. word for it. <laughs> like, dude, I would never be caught oh my dead in gosh. that thing. But you got to understand, Kevin doesn't just drive the Ford F-150. He drives the Raptor. You I know? got a new Raptor. I did indeed. <laughs> Used to have a Roush. Loved it, but it was too loud. Actually had people telling me when I talked to them on the phone from that truck, Kevin, you sound like you're in an airplane. And people who rode in the back said, it's too loud. So <laughs> I wanted to get a quieter version, but still look tough. Thank you, Raptor. Good job. Let me end with this. You know, we talked about uh, before Thanksgiving, we talked about the potential for a new, new meaning other than Kevin McCarthy, Speaker of the House. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you if you had heard anything new on that front and give you my thoughts on that as well. I haven't. I mean, the only – I'm so I'm hearing, and I'm still hearing what I was hearing before from folks in the know that that it looks like – that when it comes January, when they, you know, he may not have the votes, right? But yep. I got to tell you, though, what I'm what I'm seeing, though, in the news and across my feed, even up until yesterday, are all these big, bold statements by McCarthy right. and the establishment on this new McCarthy speakership. So there, to me, they're certainly giving no inkling whatsoever that McCarthy has any plans on backing down. Uh, or that the establishment is still not going full throttle towards McCarthy. So I I don't know. Well, let me give a little bit of um, inside baseball for our listeners as to how the process works so they they will know. I do see all the same thing you're seeing, by the way, with regard to McCarthy's. All of his comments are very bold, and I think he's doing that in part to try to get people to commit who otherwise, whether it's in the Freedom Caucus or or just general conservatives— the reason it's going to be so hard for Kevin McCarthy comes down to the fact that the Republicans did not win a big enough majority because he needs 218 votes to become the speaker, right? There's 235, you got 200, 
eighteen to two hundred seventeen. Which what what did we end up with? Do well, you that's know? we don't know yet. I think we've passed two twenty. It's amazing. We still don't. They're yeah. still counting <laughs> votes. Still don't know the actual number, but it's still a relatively thin margin. Let's say, for example, it ended up being two twenty five. Well, that would mean there would only need to be seven House members who do not support McCarthy, or eight. My understanding as of before Thanksgiving were there there were far more than eight, and the ones that were in that smaller group of 10-ish were resolute in their commitment that no McCarthy, unless McCarthy agrees to make changes and to put certain true conservatives on committees and adopt... But my understanding is that McCarthy was holding them all at arm's length, basically not taking their threats seriously as he picks off some of the weaker, um, you know, through promises and favors and things of that nature. But let me make sure I understand, though, because mm-hmm. this isn't majority leader. This is speaker. speaker so, of the so, House. The, so the Democrats are getting a vote, too. Yeah. OK, so my question is, why will any Democrat vote for McCarthy? Is that your question? Well, no, I'm saying, why would any Democrat? not vote in a, in a situation where they might it's almost like crossover voting here in Tennessee mm-hmm. in a situation where they're faced with either McCarthy or possibly a more conservative option why would a number of democrats not cross over the aisle and vote for McCarthy to keep the more conservative option off the table they they might but the the thing we That's don't That's my fear. The thing we don't know is who that it's not like a a Senate race or a presidential race where we know here's the competitor. The first thing that happens is McCarthy's got to get the vote. And so he's the one running and there's no one else. All he has to do is lose so, that so vote. So the way this works is no, we don't know who might be another option. The, the first thing that has to happen is it's just an up or down on exactly. McCarthy. Yeah. There's no there's no other option right. at that point. And wow. so no it's it's unlikely in that first round scenario that any Democrat is, gonna is vote. going to vote. I see. So when they go to twisting arms and trying to get people to change sides, yes, perhaps the Democrats there might be a few to give him the vote. But only if they know that something is worse. They may just as much enjoy the chaos um, or present their own option, which I wouldn't put it past McCarthy to vote for one of their options over allowing someone else to be speaker. But I think the the force— No, Kevin, Republicans aren't that vindictive <laughs> and selfish. No way. Boy, I, the things I can't tell you that I have heard behind the scenes would make your skin crawl and yet probably not surprise you. I, I just think that— we're only going to need to have, it's going to be less than 10 and perhaps as low as five to seven Republicans stay uh, stay firm and stay resolute in their decision not to support McCarthy. And so McCarthy will either have to capitulate to their ideas, which would be a win, or he's not going to be speaker. So January 3rd will be a very interesting day. Wow. That is going to be, we should have like a watch party or something. Yes, we should. It's better than New Year's, in my in my view. Thanks, Gary. Till next week. Yeah, thanks for the thanks for the China cabinet today. It was good. Thanks You're for welcome. taking us back. If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit TennesseeStands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. As Thomas Paine reminded us, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigue of supporting it. Mm